Hey, it's Bill Simmons. Wanted to make sure you were listening to the Bill Simmons podcast this year. We stepped it up with the guests. I don't even have time to list all of them, but let's just say we have had a who's who of A-listers, A-minus-listers, B-plus-listers in sports, pop culture, movies, music. I mean, where else can you get Kevin Durant, Steve Ballmer, Jimmy Iovine, and Charlize Theron in the span of six weeks? Nowhere. The answer is nowhere. You can find that literally nowhere other than the Bill Simmons podcast. We are in year 11. It's been an honor to do it. Hope you subscribe to the Bill Simmons podcast. Check it out. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome to the Ringer NBA show. This is a little one we're calling Group Chat. My name is Chris Ryan. I am joined by Justin Barrier. Hi. Haley O'Shaughnessy. Ding. Later on, sound. we'll have Paolo Ugetti join us to talk a little bit of Boston Celtics. This is basically an informal conversation between some Ringer staffers. We just can't leave the game alone. This is going to be going through some of the storylines happening in the week. We're going to kind of interrogate some of these narratives. We'll give away some prizes for listeners who stick with us for the whole show. Just kidding. No prizes. Let's get started right now talking about Joel Embiid. It's definitely the biggest story of the last 24 hours. Especially for you. Yeah. <laughs> so we had a, uh, a an informal watch party for Joel Embiid. Shout out to the Russian streaming site that we needed to get to see footage of this. Surprisingly clear. Yeah, it wasn't bad. Uh, you know, this was held in Uniondale, New York. Lovely Long Island. Mm-hmm. And Joel put on a show, 22.7 rebounds, three assists, a block in just 15 minutes. Classic. Am I drinking Kool-Aid? Am I crazy? Is this guy a Lajuan for the millennial generation? I'm ready to start the MVP hype. And I'm like, Yo, people sort are, of people joking. People are saying that, though. I think if he plays, let's say, 65 games, which we're already going a little too far. Yeah. I think he's a legitimate top five MVP candidate. I'd like to add that his odds aren't on the MVP list What's yet? up with that? I don't know. He's still in the field. So we'll have to see. Whereas Lonzo Ball, his odds are already on. What are Lonzo's odds? But Too much. Good? Whatever they are. Yeah, they're not look- good. Embiid, last night, the Nets and the Sixers are going back and forth. It's a big homecoming game for Kenny Atkinson mm. and the Russian version of the Yes Network. I don't know what we were watching. <laughs> Had a lot of coverage of a lot of Kenny Atkinson's family being in the crowd. But it was back and forth for a little bit. And then you blink, Embiid's been out there. And what, there was like an 18-19-1 run the Sixers went on. It's hard to keep yourself in check. There's been so many years of wandering through the desert as a Sixers fan. Mm. But what can you describe like what you saw from him and how he like changes the game on both ends of the court? Yeah, I think you hit it right there. It's just I know it was a preseason game, but the Sixers were down at one point and he just gets on the court and literally everything changes. He was on the court for like only a few minutes and all of a sudden the Sixers were up by 20. He's just like he's like a monster on the court. He just seems like like he doesn't belong there. Yeah. And he's just like he forces his way and his ball skills are just better than literally everyone he's there. He's playing at the top of the key for most of the time that we saw him. I mean, this is a little bit of post right, stuff, but Right. And it seems like he knows what's going on. One of my favorite clips from the game last night was him pushing Ben Simmons into a spot. <laughs> yeah. And he was like, no, I'm supposed to be here. Yeah. Yes, we can add that it's preseason, but I don't think it's overhyped because last season happened and he averaged like 25 minutes a game. And we saw the exact same thing. 
Right. Is this ever going to be anything more than like a thought experiment? I mean, I don't know. I think that's up to the doctors. But I do think it's like a good thing for Philly, especially how recent events have gone, not only last year, but just like, you know, Markel Fultz. Yeah. It's a touchy subject for you right now. <laughs> uh, but like, I mean, this is great. This is great for basketball and it's great for the Sixers. He hit the deck a couple of times. Mm. And I think that there's going to be a degree, which this happened with Duran a little bit when he came back from some of his foot injuries. Like every time he would kind of come up limping from like a twisted ankle or something, there was just like a lot of breath holding and Embiid hit the deck a couple of times there was one time where he banged into D'Angelo Russell on the block he fell and did like baseline. a little dance that was like did his knee just give out because right. it looked like he was hopping on one leg Blake Griffin used to do this a lot with the Clippers when he first started and I used to always say it looked like a baby kind of just walking around but like you want to keep away from like sharp corners yeah <laughs> it's kind of what Joel Embiid is at this point and even when he's like jumping up I catch my breath, and I saw a lot of people on Twitter say the same thing, just because, like, anything with him, you just worry that something's going to go wrong at this point. He wasn't helping yesterday. I saw one time he fell, and then he just, like, laid down there. Yeah. He has that, like, LeBron thing of, like, right. when you know when you go down, everybody's watching kind of thing, and you just kind of, like, play it up, like, oh, <laughs> I've managed to return to action after, like, accidentally getting elbowed in the ribs a little bit. Just, just to tease out my fantasy here, mm. let's say Embiid does play 60 games, right? What's the ceiling for the Sixers here? You could think the eight seed. If he plays enough games, I think you're looking at maybe like six or even like breaking into the top five at that point. Better than Milwaukee getting into that. He's such such a game changer. I don't know how you defend him. Yeah. I don't know how you score in the paint while he's there. Like we always talk about who is the eventual challenger of the Warriors. I don't think that team exists right now. But the Sixers, if things go right with some of these guys, they have not only like the versatility and the shooting and some of the other stuff, but they have the size. Like Ben Simmons is huge. Like Marco Fultz has good size. They have Rocco, who's like really good for what he does. Yeah. Like, this team makes sense, and if it all comes together, I mean, this is a force in the East that might be better than Boston even in two, three years. I love it. I love working with yeah. you. <laughs> uh, ben Simmons missed a couple of, like, five-foot shots, though. Yeah, and do you want to talk about Markel's free-throw shot right do now, or is it too you want to talk about Markel's free-throw shot? <laughs> I don't want to put you in that state right no, now. No, I'm okay. I'm fine. I'm, things can be corrected. I've seen Markel Fultz make shots. There's a lot of, like— hey, we'll just get this guy who's a pure athlete. He's like a dog of defender. He can dunk his ass off and we'll teach him how to shoot. Mm. And it's like the Kawhi thing. And I think people are going to try and do that with Josh Jackson. Like people are going to like, we've done this a couple of times. I'm not worried about that with Markel Fultz. He will eventually revert back to like a decent form, right? I mean, maybe. Come on. <laughs> I think this. he does have more to work with than some of the guys that you mentioned. He could shoot. He's a good basketball player. You know, I, he, he has a lot of time. <laughs> His voice just out. raised to really high pitch, yeah. which is, AK, that's a lie. Well, I think the, the discussion that we've been having recently, which I think is a good one, is why did they always key in on Fultz anyway? Like, even when the Celtics had the pick, it seemed to always be Fultz at number one. Why wasn't anyone ever talking about Lonzo as a potential number one pick? Because I think he fits this team potentially better than Fultz because he has the shot and he's a good distributor. I've been starting to develop an answer for this question I because it. I asked it myself a couple of days ago, and I was just like, wait, what? Why didn't we take Lonzo Ball? First of all, let's just leave out all the off-court stuff of like the idea that you're not just drafting a player you're drafting like a circus that comes along with it because obviously Los Angeles is a place where they're like please bring the circus like we want it sure. but I think that Lonzo's measurables or whatever like they don't necessarily read as like dynamo athlete he's kind of like like Jason wrote about Lonzo today for our point guard week and just sort of like the almost rebelliousness of the way he plays which is slow 
his jump shot has a hitch. He doesn't necessarily explode up the court with a burst of speed. It's really, really down to his incredible court vision. And it's his ability to see a play before even the other participants in the play see it. So I think in some ways... I can understand why if you're just like looking at different prospects, you might be like, you know what? We want this guy who seems closer to James Harden now with his body type and his scoring ability than a guy like Lonzo who, you know, maybe is not fast enough for this league or whatever the major concern was. So I'm starting to talk myself into, I understand why they did this. I'm going to be a little bit more annoyed if it was like, it becomes very obvious that De'Aaron Fox was a better pick and that he's just like immediately a really great two-way point guard. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, especially with Simmons, it seems like he has to play point guard on offense. Mm -hmm. And while the defensive side of things, he's probably going to be a big, like you really just want shooters around him, especially in Bede. That's why they got Redick in the first place, and they'll probably replace Redick with someone like uh, Avery Bradley. So it does make sense from a structural standpoint, yeah. Let's move on from the bottom to the top. So the Sixers have been at the bottom of the NBA for a while. One of the top teams have been the Cleveland Cavs for the last few years. A new look Cleveland Cavaliers, the new old Cavs. (laughs) An old look. I have wavered on the Cavs where I'm like, you know, at first I was just like, I not only do I think that they will win the East like at a canter, but I think that they can really give. I can't believe that you had that. And now, and then I had a crisis. genuinely did. And I had a crisis of faith. And now I'm back. So am I falling for it? I think Cavs fans are definitely like falling for the Cavs. You are a capital F falling for it. Am I? Yes. Derek Rose and Dwayne Wade No, not Derek Rose. I'm just mean like the roster. The, like all these guys, the chip on their shoulder, the gang is back together, making one last run. The class of 2011 <laughs> is here. <laughs> We're going for it. Where's Darren Williams? Yeah, I have a confession to make. Mm-hmm. We've been talking about this a lot, and I've been very anti-Cavs, anti-Rose. I saw like two highlights of them the other day. He looks really good. Came back. <laughs> he came looks back, really right? good, man. I'm in on this team. Yeah. I saw like one play of Dwayne Wade blowing by like the ghost of Matthew Della Vadova or something in a preseason game. And I was like, D Wade's back. Yeah. Flash. That last that 20 minutes a game and then like what? 60 games combined yeah, between the two of them? I get it. It doesn't really make a lot of sense. Uh, I think the big concern for me is that in order to balance the court, because you don't have shooters and Rose and Wade, you're bringing Kevin Love at the five now, which I get it. Like, you want to be a little bit more versatile, but how long is that even going to last? Because you put him next to someone like Embiid, and Embiid might actually just step on him, and he might be broken forever. So my favorite part about Kevin Love being at the five is actually how it was presented to him, which we found out from a press conference. Kevin Love told everyone that LeBron told him in practice. He was like, no, Perfect. because they were trying to figure out Synergy. who was they were trying to figure out like who was taking the four or the five. And then LeBron was like, oh, you don't know, like you're going to play the five this season. And then on Mike and Mike this morning, Ty Lue was like, uh, actually, you know, I guess Kevin told LeBron and Santa Barbara that he was playing the five, but it was all my idea. Yeah. And he kind of laughed at the end, but I'm like, dude, don't turn into David Blatt. I actually think it's better to have, even though that does somewhat undermine Ty Lue and his like, you know, his intellectual property. I think it's <laughs> better if LeBron actually is involved in these decisions because it shows like a degree of engagement with the team. Like it would be worse if LeBron was like, I haven't spoken to my teammates in four Right, months. for Cleveland, it's way better. Yeah. It's nice that they're going to Santa Barbara together, maybe trying some wines. It seems like that's LeBron's kind of vibe these well, days. Well, my favorite, my favorite Instagram of the summer was Kevin Love in Napa and it was right after LeBron had been there and like all the hashtags and Kevin Love's pictures were just like, just missed JR, must have not gotten the email from Channing. LeBron left me off the like group text and it's just like him solo at some winery in Napa. Are you telling me your favorite Instagram from the summer wasn't the 20 Banana Republic ads on Kevin Love's Those Instagram? are brutal, man. 
I think I might have to unfollow him. I feel because now I feel like I'm getting like the automated AI ads where like I just because I'm following <laughs> Kevin Love, I have like 35 Banana Republic ads in my feed anyway. Is it getting to you? Is it working? I don't like Banana Republic that much. I mean, they might be a future sponsor for It's probably the strongest <laughs> take we've got. <laughs> I mean, Alienating people right off the bat. That's the way to go. Kevin Love does look good in some chinos though. Gotta, okay, so you, you and I are getting a little bit. I'm already there on Cavs Mountain. You're climbing up it and you're yeah. saying, give me your hand. Haley, Diving you're at base of camp. It. Diving, Diving off. Of it. I'm like, I want nothing to do with this. So if not the Cavs, is there another team? We're going to talk about Boston a little bit later with Powell. But like, is there any other Eastern Conference teams that you are getting good vibes from? The Bucks. Like, do we just forget about them? Everyone is healthy this year, which is going to be a change. But Washington, when the Vegas odds came out and it was like 48.5 wins, I thought that was very low. The Eastern Conference is worse for them this year. They, they won have, 49 last year? How many they, they won? They won 49 last year after getting off to a 6-12 and 12 start. Yeah. Remember, everyone was like— Oh, yeah, they're going to— yeah. Right, everyone was like, blow it up. Yeah, exactly. Failed, yeah. They were going to fire him. They were going to trade John Wall. So now I'm, I'm like, how could they not win 49? The Eastern Conference is weaker. They have everyone back. This could be a good year for the Wizards. We saw this like weird Jordan quote today, this Michael Jordan quote. What was it exactly? It was just basically like he said, super teams make garbage teams too. Make the 28 other teams garbage or right. something Which like that. Subtext Which subtext is, yeah. my team sucks. Right. Includes <laughs> the Hornets. It's just like, now that Batum is gone, we have no chance. <laughs> um, I do wonder whether this will be a funky regular season. And teams like Washington, if they want to push hard, can get can rack up some wins because it does feel like it's going to take a little while for Boston to gel. It seems like Cleveland, with all the experience, the mm. veteran experience that they have, might take some games off. You know, they yeah. might just be like, you know, let's just be a top four, top three seed. I could see that. Rose will need rest. Wade will need rest. Isaiah's not even coming back till December. Right. Florida vacation for LeBron. Right. So at some point. they might not come out of the regular season. With I thought like you were going to say they might not come out of their cryo chambers, <laughs> <laughs> their wine baths. Yeah. Uh, you know who this opens the door for, though? The Ringer's own Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> I, I just, how would you say that it opens the door for them? <laughs> well, if there are, if the entire East is full of bad teams, maybe this singular bad team will. Is this in. something you believe? I think I do, or at least I'm talking myself into it. I'm just super into this team. I think they have like. If you're thinking that the East is there for teams that just kind of like put in the work that just show up every day and are like decidedly average, I think average can get you pretty far. And that's what I thought about the Charlotte Hornets, speaking of which, before Batum went out, I don't know how they're going to paper over that injury. He's a big part of that team. But the Nets have a lot of guys that are super intriguing. Jeremy Lin, if he stays healthy. Russell is like was the top two pick like three years ago. And we all said he was the next Harden. All of a sudden, like obviously the shine has fallen off. He did a lot of bad things with the Lakers, especially with his social media. Yeah, But it's just like, these are good NBA players. I really like what they have. I think Kenny Atkinson, the pride of Long Island, is just... Give me their starting five. Mozgov, Lynn, Russell. Rondé, and I guess Damari Carroll. (laughs) The shell of Damari Carroll. (laughs) It's foolish to be out on D'Angelo Russell already. I agree. Any other like recent high draft picks that you're not selling your stock on? Especially Eastern Conference? Victor Oladipo. Um, Is he recent enough? Yeah, that's recent. That's, That's within this decade. I feel like he's mad enough after what happened last year. Has Victor Oladipo been mad a day in his life? I know he plays mad. Maybe on wax. On, on his tracks. <laughs> no, his tracks are smooth R&B. Yeah. He's a really good singer. <laughs> what, you don't believe this? I've seen the videos, yeah. It's ancillary to whether or not he can make a jumper. <laughs> no, I don't, see, that's the whole thing is I don't think that he's going to make any jumpers, and that's fine. He needs to get back to what he was good at. Drive fiercely, draw fouls, you know, everything that, like, people— 
myself included, like he made us believe, okay, you're like going to be somewhat like Dwayne Wade. Yeah. yeah. Like last season, it was kind of like, oh my God. Well, he was in a tough spot. He he was he was on a team. He was second fiddle to a guy. Was, it, that's why it was a hardly even second fiddle because like when you right. watch, I was watching Russ highlights yesterday. It was so thrilling to watch Russ, but for some reason while I was watching these highlights, I think they were really like just like a top 10 Russ plays of the year. And I was like, Oh man, it must have sucked to play with him because he's just either get out of the way or receive a bullet pass from like six feet away that you're not expecting because you assume Russ is just going to take it to the cup every single time. Yeah. And there was one where I was like, oh my God, I can't believe Victor actually like finished this play because it was like, was that the cross court bounce pass that went through a guy's legs mm-hmm. and then Oladipo finished with a layup? But it must have been really difficult to be a Russ teammate. Yeah, his whole career, I don't know if he's been in the perfect situation to take advantage of kind of what Haley's saying here with just kind of being a driving kick sort of guy, a guy who can create mayhem. Like, they brought Alfred Payton in pretty early into the Orlando Magic career. I mean, he was pretty much expected to just be a better shooter yeah. with the Thunder. I don't know if that's necessarily his game. And now you look at what the Pacers have. I don't know if he's the best fit with Darren Collison, but, you know, they have some shooting around him, Boyan Bogdanovich, Sabonis, That's his right. dude from Demonis. Thunder. I mean, it, it makes some sense. Th- Turner has some stretch to his game. If the Pacers are going to be good, he really needs to be that guy anyway. Yeah, Oladipo will be a really interesting case study. When we go through these teams like the Nets and the Pacers, I kind of start to agree with Michael Jordan. Mm-hmm. Like, There's a chunk of teams that have actually been tanking and or started that process, and they're just like, really bad like there's yeah, a but few what he's trying to say is like all in the east yeah i guess so i think there, there are five really good teams in the east i don't know if anyone besides cleveland could win more than two games off of golden state but i think that there's some talent in the middle group there i think the bucks we're gonna see something from the bucks this year one way or the other well the irony to everything he's saying is like it's his fault yeah like, just make a better team dog yeah. <laughs> like, what do you what do you do it's not like these guys are going together because there are only f- a few competent like situations like chris paul was in la they couldn't even get like five guys on the court who were actually good i know yeah what's the last big free agency signing charlotte had Oof. i mean lance stevenson probably <laughs> seriously and they yeah. traded for dwight but yeah they that's a it's not necessarily a hot they bed. couldn't even create any fake buzz about Steph coming home. Buzz, you know what I mean? Like every, like buzz. any competent <laughs> PR team, I know, any competent PR team or any like competent local media can be Dell like, calls their games. Yeah. You couldn't like Seriously. ask whoever won favor from I feel Del? like Tate was even trying to seed that. Tate was like the only guy who was just like, Steph's going to go back home, Under Armour's going to take over. I'm like, first of all, it's like a conspiracy theory beyond, but like I was surprised that they couldn't get any juice going for like any Carolina guy to be like, why don't you come on back to the cradle of basketball? <laughs> Is that how they talk in Charlotte? Yeah, that's how they talk. <laughs> okay. um, let's talk about another team, not unlike the Bucks, who are hoping to make a leap, and that is the Minnesota Timberwolves, who finally inked Andrew Wiggins to their five-year, $148 million contract extension. They had to do it, I guess. I mean, like, I get, because I, this is the same thing with Embiid, where I'm like, do you really want to play this guy going into his RFA? Right. And do you want to alienate like, him? It just seems like bad blood is the only thing that could come of that. Haley, you were an avid Wolves watcher. Right. And I'm in support of this Wiggins contract. Okay. I know that a lot of people think it's way too soon for what he's shown so far. But the thing is, is when you watch enough of him, you know that he has all the tools. He'll show flashes and it'll be amazing. He can be the dominant person that they're paying for. And the other thing is that on defense, which is what everyone gave him so much shit for last year, the problems are effort-based. So if you have the athletic potential and you're being put next to Jimmy Butler, who will lose his mind if you're not trying, like you're going to make the leap this year. And the thing is, is the worst case scenario is that 
Maybe they don't get along. Maybe Wiggins' personality, which has been described as passive, doesn't like that kind of feedback from a player. But it didn't really work with Thibodeau. And that's always kind of concerning for me in a locker room is when you have like a defensive-minded coach and then you don't see it on the court. Right. Someone's not listening. Now they have veterans. It has to be this year. So we will see very soon whether or not he's going to turn into the guy that Glenn Taylor wants him to be. Yeah. And made him handshake before. <laughs> he just looked into <laughs> his eyes and see he was committed. Justin, yeah. the thing about the Wolves is that, not unlike Charlotte, you kind of can't let Wiggins go because it's not like you're going to get someone as good as him to come as a free agent. Right. right. You keep Wiggins and yeah, like Haley said, like the worst case scenario, you sell as high as you possibly can on him if it doesn't work out between him and Tibbs and Butler, right? Right. I mean, they alienated Kevin Love because they held on to Ricky Rubio as if he was this like precious gem that they've yeah. never had before. Right. And, and it makes sense. Like this is the heyday for the Wolves. I think Wiggins is a flawed player, but like these type of guys just get these contracts and you just don't want to lose an asset like that. There's a lot of fit issues as Haley was kind of pointing to. I think offense is honestly the biggest one. Defensively, I'm not that concerned just mm-hmm. simply because of what Towns, like his potential and just what he was at Kentucky. Wiggins' whole thing was his defensive ability when he was coming out of Kansas. It's just offensively, him and Butler, that's an odd fit and there's not a lot of shooting. You're kind of counting on Towns and like Taj Gibson was taking way too many threes in a preseason he, yeah, game. And that's what he's going to have to do. Threes. Yeah. How many games did Minnesota win last year? 31. Okay. I'm thinking a lot about this this week because we've been doing these best case, worst case. And so we've been looking at what we think teams in the best case scenario could do this season and what would be like the disaster mm-hmm. for them. And, you know, when I was writing about the Sixers, I had been thinking about stuff that Hinky had said back when he traded Michael Carter Williams and got rid of KJ McDaniels and that was that 2013, 15 trade deadline, something like that. Like, I think it was like February 2015. And Carter Williams was like the reigning rookie of the year. And obviously those trades wound up working out pretty well for Hinky, except that he lost his job. But <laughs> Moment of silence. he was really big on the idea that really great teams don't go up five wins in a year, that they make a leap. The biggest example of that would be that Thunder team that went from like 30 wins to 55 or 50 wins or something like that. And that was the first year they made the playoffs and they they eventually lost to the Mavericks who would go on to win the finals that season, but that they made this huge leap. There's a couple of teams like the Bucks and like the Timberwolves that I wonder whether or not that same logic applies or whether or not they are internally holding themselves to that same standard. Like, what success for the Wolves? Is it just the playoffs? Is it fifth seed? What are they looking for, you think, internally? Look, Minnesota's a special case. They haven't made the playoffs since 2004. Right. So even if they just creeped in, even if towards the end, the guys were like no longer as freshly like, oh, we're going to be great. We're going to be a problem. You know, like they started hating each other. Even if they eke in, they're like the seventh, eighth seed. Like that's great. You know, they're happy. But I do think for Thibodeau, his biggest thing is not even where they finish its defense. He was aggravated last year. You can, yeah. (laughs) Not about where you finish. It's how you do it. His biggest thing is like, are we going to have a competent defense? Because I know that that drives him crazy. Right. For maybe Minnesota fans, you got Jimmy Butler and Jeff Teague. If you get anything less than the sixth seed, you might be upset. What do you think? I think they're about a year away from like the Blazers era, like Malays, yeah, where the Blazers are now. Just because I think you get to a point where the just the playoffs is not enough. Yeah, I think of the early aughts Hawks, just those Josh Smith, Joe Johnson teams. Like to a certain extent, that was great because Atlanta never has winners. But after a while, it was just like, all right, how many outs to the Pacers are we going to do here? Yeah, uh, I think the Wolves kind of have a buffer this year. I think 
just how disappointing things were last year has almost created this gap in expectations to where if they just make it in, they're fine. They probably should be a top four seed if we're just talking about raw talent. Yeah, and Towns like making a, a step up from last year. You'd think that yeah. that would happen. Yeah, he's the big one for me. I mean, he should be in the MVP discussion every year going Yeah, forward. He's that good. Yeah, it's sort of strange. I mean, like when Hinky took over the Sixers, that was coming off of a couple years of mediocre, if somewhat successful, Doug Collins teams. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually a very bad one that led to Doug Collins' exit. But this sort of Evan Turner, Drew Holiday, Iguodala, pretty good, win 40-something games, maybe make a playoff run if Derrick Rose's knee explodes. Like, <laughs> that was sort of, like, the outlook. And, you know, that now it's sort of like we've gotten to this point where I think so many teams are like, we're just going all the chips are in. So it's like there's a bunch of teams that have new faces that I think are going to expect results. And mathematically, some of them are not going to get what they want. Like, whether it's the Thunder, whether it's the Timberwolves, like somebody's going to come up a little bit short this season. Right, and of all the new teams in the West that are loaded now, or I don't know if I want to say loaded when I'm referring to the Wolves, but their offense is the most questionable when we think about like automatically clicking. Yeah. And that includes the Thunder. I think that the Rockets, like everybody's just kind of overreacting. Oh my God, there's one ball. Who will bring it down? Like James Harden didn't play shooting guard for years and years and years. So I think that the Wolves probably have the most questionable offensive fit like you said, with Butler and Wiggins. But Danny Chow wrote a really good piece on how they could fit, Mm -hmm. potentially, pointing out that when Wiggins was forced to pull up jumpers last year, he didn't do as well, but he finishes really great around the rim, and Jimmy Butler is better at that. Yeah. So it could work. I mean, it's possible. It's just a matter of will it and how it will turn out. I want to talk more about some of these new faces, and we're going to go back to the Eastern Conference, talk a little bit about Boston to do that. So to help us with that, we're going to bring Paolo on. Now we're joined by Paolo Ugetti. Paolo, me and Justin wanted to talk to you a little bit about the Celtics. Celtics. Uh, it's not a team we talk about a lot at the ringer. <laughs> um, <laughs> Very little. It's not a team that has a lot of support within our, our staff. No, it's been a strange <laughs> week because it started off, what was it, Monday or Tuesday, Lee Jenkins had an Isaiah Thomas feature. Right. And Isaiah was not particularly fond of Danny Ainge in that feature. He talked a little bit about how he felt like he didn't have any warning that this trade was coming. And uh, he gets dealt and he just sort of put out what a lot of people have been saying before, which is like, how are you going to trade a dude who did this for your team and put the team in front of like maybe his personal well-being during the playoffs? Yeah, I mean, he said that he probably would never talk to him again, which is kind of an extreme statement. But knowing Isaiah, he's probably going to follow through with that. Yeah. And of all the like the changes that happened this summer. The Isaiah Thomas one was the most, like, kind of raw, emotional one. Yeah, especially because of all the emotions about Kyrie Irving. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to get to Kyrie. With the Isaiah stuff, I mean, it's kind of buffered a little bit about the fact, by the fact that Isaiah is not going to actually play until possibly 2018. But the guy who went to Boston in return was Kyrie Irving. And Kyrie, who looked good yesterday against Charlotte, right? Like, he's been having, like, a pretty good preseason. He looks like he's really comfortable. Mm Mm-hmm. But he's still popping off about Cleveland a little bit. And this was sort of strange because I think Kyrie is definitely enjoying the spotlight in terms of like just like having opinions, which all power. He has opinions, yes. He has opinions. <laughs> but maybe, I don't know whether I not, I was just wasn't listening to him when he was in Cleveland, but he gets asked these bullshit questions by the media. He's like, oh, I definitely have an answer for that. Let me tell you. 
Yeah, he has answers. I don't know if they're like based in anything factual. Yeah. He's almost kind of feeding into his own celebrity that he's built for himself for the year. It's almost yeah. like he's playing a character now. Yes. To the point where he backtracked on the fact that like he thought the earth was flat, but then even while doing so, I think he's even more full of shit. Yeah. Like, I don't know what to think about him anymore. I, I, I basically just am out. He's very confusing. The whole thing is really weird. Like, well, first of all, I want to say, like, let's pour one out for Gordon Hayward when he, like, owned a day in the summer, July 4th, because he's become extremely irrelevant. Yeah. It seems like at this point, it's all about Kyrie, which is really weird. No wonder his haircut is so dramatic these days. <laughs> it keeps getting higher. I don't, I don't get what's attention. up attention. <laughs> yeah. So it's really fascinating and weird what Kyrie's trying to do because he's talking about how Boston is a real live sports city. Yeah, I don't even know what's in the context I don't even know what that quote. means. So was he... Was he calling into a radio station or was he just like I'm just going to share this so he's driving and he was like man I live in a real sports city yeah now. he's like I'm driving in I live in a real sports city and then like I think what was the more shocking part was like he explicitly said Cleveland at night things were dead which is like okay you don't even need to go that far to say that we get what you're saying here but yes. the, the fact that he's making that explicit choice is just really weird to me like what what's his end goal behind this is he doing it on purpose does he know that he's doing this it's a really fascinating subplot into how the Cavs and the Celtics are going to be inextricably linked throughout this whole season. Yeah. To me, I read it as this is a real live sports city that recognizes me and who I am. Yeah. Whereas LeBron, obviously, is the guy in Cleveland. He has the huge billboard, all that stuff. Kyrie made a very clear when requesting for a trade, not demanding, that uh, he wanted to kind of go and do his own thing. It feels like he's just kind of leaning into this. He wants to perfect his craft. Yeah. To your point, though, from earlier, like, I know exactly what you mean where it's like, I even feel like now he'll get confronted about this comment and then he can just be like, well, that's because Boom Roasted. I was just (laughs) playing a trick on the media and showing you guys how you just go for sound bites all the time. Mm -hmm. In the meantime... He's kind of right. I mean, like, Boston yeah. is, like, a probably more vibrant sports city. I went to one wedding in Cleveland, like, 15 years ago, and it was pretty quiet. Mm-hmm. You know, like, so I'm, I guess, like, on a small <laughs> sample size, I could see what he's saying. Boston is very passionate about the sports. I think the one thing I would say that's going to be really, like, you were talking about the Boston-Cleveland relationship. I'm also interested in the Boston sports media-Kyrie mm-hmm. relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because Boston sports media does not make any money on having a good relationship with Kyrie (laughs) and not questioning him and not questioning his contributions. So the honeymoon will end, right? Like when he struggles going like, I don't know, like five for 15 from the field is not defending. The fans that make up that real live sports city are totally going to turn on him as well. So what is he going to say then? You know, is he going to be pleased that he's at a city where it cares almost too much about its sport. It's it's really, like I said, it's an interesting thing going into the season because that relationship between him and the media, him and the fans, was not really there in Cleveland because it was just completely overshadowed by LeBron. And then you can point back and say, that's probably why he wanted to leave, but is it going to be good in the long run for him? Take the personalities out of it for a second. Did you like watching the Celtics play a little bit of basketball yesterday? Do you like what you're seeing? Do you think Kyrie is like basically an upgrade on Isaiah and that they're going to be like this exciting team to watch? I think they're going to be a better team. I don't know if it will be exciting. I almost want to pour one out for old school Kyrie here. We're running out of things to pour. <laughs> We've already poured one out for Gordon Hayward and his limited media availability. There's three of us. There's three cups. We get one okay, more part. A lot of liquid one more. at the ringer yeah. is what's going on. I'm sure we'll be able to find a Jägermeister <laughs> shot somewhere in Boston for you. <laughs> uh, at timeout or wherever that bar is. But no, it's just like 
he was one of the last guys we kind of let do what he does, like just kind of that one-on-one scoring. And yeah. I felt like in the playoffs, yeah, it wasn't the most efficient thing, but that was some of the most exciting basketball over the past decade has been Kyrie just going at the Warriors. That was like really fun stuff. And I think he's going to be a better player as a result of that. But I wonder if it's almost kind of like tamping down that like wild spirit that kind of made him sort of interesting. Yeah, I mean, I watched just like a little bit of that Charlotte game when they had their starters in fully, and it did seem like, sadly... It was like, oh, yeah, this is like what it would look like if Isaiah Thomas had like a normal NBA body Mm. where it's like a really good crafty pick and roll player who has the ball in his hands and can just step back and knock down a three over pretty much any NBA player. I felt like a lot of Boston's appeal for a non-Boston fan last year was the degree of like scrappiness and like. Mm-hmm. Everybody was Mr. Fix-It, and Isaiah was like a folk hero, but otherwise you just like, maybe Olenek tonight, maybe Al Horford puts it in tonight. Like, now it's like any other super team feeling, right. uh, kind of. But it'll be very interesting to see Brad Stevens deal with what will obviously be some different personalities on the team this year. Yeah, I think it's kind of like a refined version of last year's team, because like you said, Kyrie's the quote-unquote better version of Isaiah, and you have Gordon Hayward is probably the better version of the wing player that Jay Crowder maybe was for them. So I think it's going to be really fun to watch them as strictly as kind of how we watch, not to compare them to the Warriors, but in the sense of like we recognize that they're just flawless and they're like a machine. I think the Celtics, if Stevens, like you said, kind of manages the personalities and instills his own style onto them pretty quickly and they're able to adapt to it, you're going to see a very smooth team, which, I mean, you saw Kyrie in that game last night. He had that move where he was just running down the court. because underneath his legs. Like, I'm not even sure how that worked, the yeah, move, right. and he went to the rim. It's like you're going to see, I think, less of that, like Justin said, the original Kyrie but you might see a better team and a better overall player because of it. It's like how the burden of expectations just affects teams mm-hmm. and just how mm-hmm. you perceive them going into a season. Like we all talk about like, oh, everyone's the same on paper going into the preseason. Preseason doesn't matter and all this stuff. But like it kind of does. It sets the, That's the why bar. I think there's been so much attention to the preseason this yeah. year. Yeah. yeah, a lot of new faces. We want to see certain things from them. The Celtics went from a team that when they won the East last year just in the regular season, that was exciting. That was different. It was kind of the scrappier team without the star player kind of taking out LeBron, the guy who is the shining example of of the star player in the NBA. And now they're just a normal good team. Yeah. There was another shot. It was Jalen asked Kyrie, what's different about playing in Boston this year compared to Cleveland? And he was Mm -hmm. like, ball movement, which was another Jalen's just asking you a question. He can be like, oh, different teams, different coaches, different teammates, both great experiences. You can just get out of that really easily. But it's interesting to contrast them with, say, the Thunder have been very, like, tempered in their, they're just like, we're figuring it out. We're going to figure it out. Don't worry. And, like, they probably have more work to do than Boston because those are three guys who expect to have the ball in their hands for most of the game on the Thunder. But, yeah, expectations, managing expectations, you don't usually see somebody who's, like, I'm in the perfect place for my basketball abilities. It's usually more like, yeah, we're going to figure it out. Another interesting thing Kyrie said was that he he said, I understand the marketing of going into the Cavs Celtics opener. And I thought that was really interesting because it, it oh. almost gives you like a like a picture into his own brain like, like why he's making these decisions. Basically, like in my mind, it's like a bingo card of like things that are going to offend Cleveland and right. the Cavs. And it's like, what's going to be the next thing he's going to say that's going to offend them? Yeah, I wonder if he would have been on this press run if the game was in Cleveland. I feel like everything Kyrie says is just like a step-by-step process of the exploding brain meme <laughs> going on. <laughs> and so yeah. like the next thing he says is going to be completely like more ridiculous and yeah. in the same vein. But Before we get going, I want to hear from you guys. Every week we'll try to do some recurring segments, but I wanted to do, I don't care, I'm dying on this hill. So one opinion, one take where you're like, I don't care if this is wrong. I'm dying on this hill. It's going to be right, like, eventually. I don't know if I should do this in front of Paulo, but this take is that 
Kyle Kuzma is actually the new Landry Fields. <laughs> like, listen, this is a good one. I can't lie. I love Kyle Kuzma. I think this preseason has been way more interesting as a result of him doing whatever he's doing. But, dog, you're not that good. And, like, is it the point where Kevin O'Connor loved the dude? He gets all the best stats, but he's throwing stats out there like, oh, he shot this at the NBA Combine. And I'm like, come on. Yeah. What are we doing? I think he's fine. I think he's going to exceed expectations. He's not Tron, though. Like, let's just chill out. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's just like we're not yeah. – like, not everybody missed the boat on this guy. Yeah. yeah. And it seems like the case for him comes down to he's better than Julius Randle. Yeah. My counter is Julius Randle. Not that good at basketball. <laughs> <laughs> the Lakers, not that good at basketball. <laughs> yeah, that's going to be the Lakers train and its status in the station. It will be very interesting in seeing when it leaves. Because I think that, we, you know, it seems like their December is really tough. They do an East Coast run where they have to play Cleveland. Then they come back and have a real, like, murderer's row of Western Conference teams come through. And I think that could be the one there. They go like 2-12 and 12, yeah, you know, when, in December or something. When the rest of like the fan base catches up to the NBA at Christmas, you know how they always say that about yeah. NBA fans, like the Lakers are going to be long gone. Yeah. You don't have to worry about them. So for me, I think I'm going to do something a little more conceptual that I've been wanting to rant conceptual, about. Conceptual, good. Which is the fact that I'm going to die on the hill of I'm already sick of people saying to everything, to a player, to a team, to a game, it doesn't matter because the Warriors are still the Warriors. And so you're going to die title. on it does matter, Hill. I yes, it does matter. Yeah. Everything matters. Like this whole offseason, one of the most compelling offseasons we've had, all of the things that happen are what's going to make the 82-game ride that much more compelling because there's so many questions that we're trying to answer because so many guys switch teams. And that's going to be interesting in itself. Like I'm making the case, I guess, for the Rockets, the Thunder, the Spurs— the Celtics, the Cavs, of enjoying their the storylines within the, all those teams without having to always come back to the generality of the Warriors are going to kill everybody. Which I get it. Like It's almost like I'm going up to you and saying, I had a good day, and you're telling me, well, you're going to die eventually. Like, yeah. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> well, it's like, like it's, you don't want to look at sports in that existential way. Exactly. You so know, you want to have their feel like there could be some very, there could be some like possibility yeah. of something miraculous. And there happening. is, like, what if an injury happens? You know, like, yeah. there's there's always so many different configurations. Where for the Warriors, it's a little bit higher degree of difficulty. We'd have to have like a three way segue accident for them yeah. to like <laughs> actually be knocked out. Yeah. My, I don't care, I'm dying on this hill. I'm dying on Carmelo Mountain. Yes. Oh, I like it. Get out of here. I feel like Carmelo like has gotten trashed so badly over the summer. Well, because he is trash. Yeah, yeah, I hear that. I really am excited to watch him play on the Thunder. This is like a really good, fresh start for him. I think that's the most talented team he has played on since Denver. I mean, I guess there was that one Knicks team that won 50-some games, right? Mm -hmm. With Jason Kidd. And then when he forced out Jeremy Lin. Because <laughs> they weren't any better is that with the, him. Is that the original sin of Carmelo Anthony for you? Is wow. the ending of Linsanity? I think that's a big one. I think it's also just playing basketball. But tell me like, about this. So is it, an aesthetic, is it an aesthetic problem with his game or what? Like, what's the what's your major issue? Yeah, it's uh, he's almost kind of the shining example of players who go for themselves and kind of aren't winning players, essentially. Like, he's basically the old Kobe guard example. Do you have any faith in that changing in a different scenario, in a different scene, like in Oklahoma City? Oh, definitely not, especially after... <laughs> in, in, in <laughs> doubling down. Well, well, first of all, if you want to get deep... This, like, is, this is turning into... <laughs> I don't care I'm dying on this hill, except Justin killed me on my hill. 
Well, first of all, people don't change. <laughs> yeah. Let's okay. Point that out. Uh, and also, like on media day, they were all talking to him. Like, first of all, someone brought up coming off the bench, and he scoffed at it. And like, I get it. You're probably better as a team with Carmelo starting at the four. But the fact that he won't even like consider it as an option, not a good sign. I think he's probably reacting to the idea of like, why do I have to come off the bench? Like, why am? Why is it? Why are we starting with me? And I think that that was sort of one of the problems in New York is that all the changes that were being asked of that team was starting with Carmelo. It's like, will you play the four? Will you do this? Will you do that? Will you make way for this person? And I think just because of like everything about Carmelo's career feels like it's out of time, right? Like the contract that he had was unmovable. His Mm -hmm. game is not modern enough. He doesn't pass enough. He doesn't play in this way. I just think that as a some nights first option, some nights third option as a guy who could do what Derrick Rose is going to do in Cleveland, which is play the first few minutes, come out a little bit early in the first quarter and then lead the second unit and be the like hero ball guy. I don't know. I, I'm expecting a lot from Carmelo this year. I'm really excited it's to see it. It's Hoodie Mello. It's the lifestyle. I think it's the lifestyle. I think it's, it would be right to top this off with the man himself. You know, he had an Instagram post early this week. At the center of your being, you have the answer. You know who you are, and you know what you want. Take that, Stay Kyrie. What, what does this mean? <laughs> <laughs> Justin just wants to hear, yeah, you know, team played well tonight. We got to keep it moving. That's a banal quote to my life. <laughs> my okay. environment. Thanks for joining us for NBA Group Chat. NBA Show will be back next week. I'm sure Verno and Kevin O'Connor will have you taken care of next Tuesday. Just while we have you here. The Ringer is doing the NBA Preview Palooza. Monday and Tuesday, we are basically going for two straight days with a ton of video content. We'll have previews of the conferences, of the teams, fake documentaries, uh, guests, special guests coming by. Some of your favorite Ringer podcasts will be doing video bits. We're really excited for this. It's starting noon Eastern time on Monday, and we'll be pretty much going with you straight with some breaks for sleep until Cavs versus Celtics tip off on Tuesday at 7. So uh, definitely hang out with us. You won't be able to miss it. For Justin, Haley, and Paolo, I'm Chris Ryan. Take care.